You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us this weekend here at Summit Church. Um, I'm Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you've joined us and you might be thinking we're here, but you are not and you are correct. Uh, I'm actually in Blairsville uh, with our team down there today. It's been a while since I've been down there. So uh, while you're worshiping here in the Sunday morning, I'm down in Blairsville. But I just want to say again, thanks for being here. If you're a guest with us, make yourself at home. If you're watching online, <clears throat> no matter where you are, how you're joining us, thanks so much for taking time uh, this weekend to be a part. We really do appreciate it. So thank you guys uh, for for catching up with us and just being a part. And I just want you to know the series we're in is a, it's a really, it can be really impactful for you and for your family and for your life if you will apply what, what the word of God says. And that's really the key for this. And so we've issued some strong challenges to you over the last couple of weeks uh, to bear much fruit. And that's really what the series is about. It's not just about bearing fruit, which is what we're doing is looking at the fruit of the spirit, but we're saying hey, God's called you to bear much fruit, that your life should be very fruitful with the things that we're talking about. And so last weekend, we talked about the fruit of love. And uh, this weekend, we're going to talk about the next five fruit of the spirit. And I am so excited for you to hear the word from these communicators. They're some of my favorite people in the world. And I know that they're going to bring a word that's going to challenge you. So Get ready to take some notes. Uh, get ready to, to to lean in and pay attention to what God wants to say to you today as we uh, hear from five of our pastors. God bless you guys. Well, hello, good morning, and welcome. That's all the greeting you get because my timer started. Um, in John 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that God the Father is the gardener. He is the one who cultivates the fruit. And so if we remain in Christ because we are connected to the vine, we will produce fruit. There are things that should be evident that should be produced in our lives because we are connected to Christ, because we are walking with him. And so today I want to ask you, is joy one of those things? Is there much joy in your life? Is it evident? Is it being produced because you are connected to Christ? When people observe your life, when they, when they learn that you follow Jesus, do they know that it's true by your joy? John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So here's the thing. Joy is not reserved for people with positive personalities. It is not reserved for people that see the world as, as the glass half full instead of empty. In fact, there's a lie that some of you believe about me that we're going to address today because I don't want you to believe lies anymore because you come up to me in the lobby and you say, Steph, you're happy all the time. You're always so positive. I'm here to tell you that's not accurate at all. You can ask my parents. They're here on the second row. They can give you 30 years of times that I haven't been happy. Um, I get mad. I get cranky. And I especially get hangry. I can tell you that. But I do have joy because of Jesus. I have joy because of what Christ has done for me. 
And I don't believe it's made evident enough in my life, but it must be there to a certain degree because before my name was Steph McCoy, when it was Steph McCoy, Pastor Kim nicknamed me Steffi McJoy. So hopefully that stays. But joy is not reserved for people with positive personalities. And it's not reserved for when circumstances in your life are good. But it is meant to be evident. It is meant to be visible in the life of every believer in every single season. You have complete access today because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Because you are connected to Christ, joy can be produced in you. And you may say, Steph, so are you saying I have to be happy all the time? That I always got to be positive? And to say that would assume that joy and happiness are the same. And though they may appear similar, they are actually vastly different. See, happiness depends on external factors, but joy is an internal state. Happiness is a reaction to something great, but joy is the product of someone great, Christ in you. Happiness is fleeting and temporary, but joy is long-lasting and rooted. Happiness happens to us, but joy is chosen by us. Joy supernaturally sustains our souls in seasons of heartache, injustice, and sorrow. Enduring the valleys of life is nearly impossible without the life-giving fuel of joy in Christ. Even where happiness is absent, joy can be found. Joy is all throughout the scriptures. We see it in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Psalm 30, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Nehemiah 8.10, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Luke 2, the angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. Thank you. To all people. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. James, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 1 Thessalonians, always be joyful. The source of all joy is Jesus. Christ has paved a way for joy to be ever present in your life and mine because of what he has done on the cross, that he would lay down his life. When we were dead in our sin, when we were enemies of God, he would make a way to restore relationship, that we were lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we have life. And remembering that Christ gives you everything you need to live a life of godliness surrendered to him will bring you great joy. I once heard a quote saying, there is no virtue in the Christian life which is not made more radiant with joy. A joyless life is not a Christian life for joy is one constant in the recipe for Christian living. May the joy of the Lord overflow in you today and every day. Now, I'm not preaching from a place today where I have mastered this. I could be preaching into a mirror uh, because I am convinced that the most chaotic moments, the, most mo the moments that are most void of peace are the moments where a parent is trying to get multiple kids ready for school in the morning. Anybody been there, right? If you haven't been there, you'll experience that joy one day. Um, so uh, yeah, you do this every single day, right? Every single day you wake up for the same thing. And for some reason today, 
every day. You wake up and you forget where the clothes are at and your kids forgot how to make cereal. You forgot how to make cereal. Uh, your son has five pages of homework to do but only has one sock on. Two hours have gone by like it's been two minutes and the bus is around the corner. Everybody's still in their underwear and uh, <laughs> you need to get to school, right? This is a chaotic moment. Really just getting kids ready for anywhere is a chaotic moment. And I realize this is a little tongue in cheek or these, these are a little chaotic, but they're not as deeply chaotic as some other issues in our life. Some other issues that might actually suck the joy out of our very soul, the, the divorce, the diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job or a career, or the constant bickering in the house. These moments are the moments that actually seem to rip peace from our very soul. And we're left feeling like we don't know what's next. We have questions of why did this happen? How did this happen? What am I actually supposed to do? We lack understanding in these situations. We actually try to relieve it with, I'll just plan a vacation. Life is stressful right now. I'll just get out to the beach as quick as I can, right? Or maybe it's a substance that you go to to find peace. Or maybe it's another relationship or even just a sip of coffee on the front porch in the morning before your kids wake up. All of these things are just momentary peace though. They might offer peace for a moment, but they don't offer peace that is everlasting, peace that passes understanding. As believers in Christ Jesus, we actually get to experience peace in the most chaotic of situations, even when it doesn't make any sense. Galatians 5 tells us that peace is actually a fruit of the spirit. This is peace with God, peace from God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have peace of mind, first off, that we are made right and loved by God through the power of Jesus and through our belief in him. So that starts off our peace. We have peace with people because we know that they need a savior just like we need a savior. We are, we are gracious to them. We know that we have peace in the middle of the storm. This is not the absence, the peace that comes from God isn't the absence of fighting, not the absence of chaos, but it is having peace even in the midst. Think about the fact that Jesus slept in the storm because he knew who controlled the, the wind and the waves. Spoiler alert, it was him. Um, the peace, this peace is a peace of the spirit because it is a higher peace than just what comes when everything is calm and settled. This is a peace of God that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific request known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is yours. So we see this peace passes understanding. It doesn't mean that it's beyond our ability to understand. What it means is that it has to be experienced. It cannot just be known, but it must be experienced in the deepest moments, in the most chaotic moments, in the heartbreak moments, we can experience God's peace that passes understanding. It also guards our hearts and minds. God's peace guards your heart and mind from unnecessary fear, unnecessary stress, unnecessary anxiety, unnecessary unbelief. It helps, it helps build your faith because you know that no matter what, God still holds every single thing in his hand. This peace is not just freedom from trouble, but it is a tranquility of heart, which comes from knowing that our life is fully in his hands. And you see, when we live by the spirit and we have the fruit of the spirit as evidence in our lives and we have this peace, we can, we can face any situation knowing that God is fully in control and ultimately knowing that our hope for eternity remains in him. 
That no matter what happens on this earth, God is still in control and my hope for eternity is still in him. So whenever you face your next stress-filled, chaotic moment or maybe a heartbreaking moment, what I want you to do is I want you to take just a second and ask God to show you his peace. Ask God to reveal his peace to you, even in the most crazy of moments. Pause and enter his presence, even if it's just for a second. Remember that Psalm 23 tells us that he makes us lie down in green pastures and he quiets our soul. Seek his peace today. If you were a church kid back in the 80s, and man, that makes me feel really old, uh, you probably watched a show called The Music Machine. And there was a little song you might remember about Herbert the Snail, and it went like this. Have patience. Have patience, right? Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when others had to wait for you. Do you notice what that little song says that the result of impatience is? Worry. You see, the opposite of patience isn't simply hurry or rushing. It's anxiety. It's worry. In the list of the works of the flesh that Paul includes before his list of the fruits of the Spirit, there are some things that are included there that result from impatience. Outbursts of anger, for example. We respond in anger when we feel we've been denied something that we're entitled to. Strife. We come into conflict with others because we feel justified in pushing our way to the front of the line because our time is more important. Jealousy. You see, we end up, we envy someone else's place because they're ahead of us in line or because they got the promotion we thought we deserved. So rather than exhibiting patience, we exhibit jealousy. And then sorcery. Now I know what you're saying. You're going, what? Sorcery? How? How? Right? Well, you see, sorcery represents a willingness to cut corners, to use artificial means to attain a goal rather than trusting that God is in control to go outside of what he might prescribe or to, to use, to trust in something else to bring blessing to our lives. So when God calls us to patience, he isn't simply calling us to slow down, although that's part of it for sure, but he's calling us to trust him. The opposite of impatience is trust. Patience grows from trusting that God is in control. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, patience is defined as this, the capacity to accept delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, those who trust in the Lord will find a new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Here's something that's interesting. The word that's translated trust in this verse can also be translated as wait. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Trusting equals waiting and waiting equals trusting. Look what Isaiah says happens for those who wait on or trust in the Lord. He says that they endure, right? They soar like eagles. They don't grow weary. They don't give up. Patience isn't passive. 
Patience, rather, is the ability to continue to trust God, to work hard, to endure and accept setbacks, trusting that God is in control, that he sees it all, and that he is the one who rewards us in his own time and at the perfect time. So I want to invite you to practice patience this week. Start with the small things. When you're running late and you get caught by that traffic light, remind yourself that God is in control and he knew there'd be a red light today. When you're trying to get out the door and the kids aren't cooperating, trust in the Lord. It's when we invite God into those everyday things that he develops in us the ability to have patience in the extraordinary things. And that is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. That we might exhibit these things in supernatural ways so that the world looks at us and marvels. God invites us to trust him, to develop patience and in doing so, to bear much fruit. In the church I grew up in, we used to sing Isaiah chapter 40, 31. That's actually how I learned it. I won't sing it for you today, but my prayer for us is this, that we might learn to wait on the Lord. So recently I went on a trip and I was getting back, depending on how you look at it, either extremely late or extremely early. Either way, it was well past my bedtime. And I get out to where you wait for the shuttle and there was this like reasonable sized mob waiting with me. And my shuttle pulled up and a good part of the mob moved to my shuttle. And everyone was tired, it was late, and nobody was like overtly rude, but there was this like silent jockeying for position, right? And you could almost see the sigh of relief when they would hand their bag to the driver to be stowed and go get on the bus. They knew they had a seat. Well, finally it gets down to the last five of us. There was an older gentleman, a couple with a little boy, and me. And the older gentleman gets up, And then he looked behind him and he saw me and he looks at the driver and he goes, she's with me. And he looks at me and he goes, she's with me. Like to tell me, hand your bag to the man. And I just, this awkward moment where I'm like, there's a small boy between me and you, right? Like, ew. And so I didn't know what to do. I just stood there and the man goes and gets on the bus. And then the driver goes to check and he comes back to us and he says, there's two seats left. And the mom goes, well, my son can sit on my lap. And then she goes, she's with us and looks at me and she goes, you're with us. We're not leaving you behind. She's with us. And the driver looks at me, right? Total awkward moment. The driver looks at me and he's like, well, do you mind standing? And I said, no. And the husband right away goes, no, no, no. You take the seat. I'll stand. And I walked away from the encounter just humbled and grateful for God's kindness through these actual strangers They didn't know me at all. The Cambridge Dictionary says, kindness is the quality of being generous, helpful, and caring about other people, or an act showing the quality. Andrew Mc, nope, Alexander, wow. (laughs) McLaren, it says it right here, said it's possible that kindness here expresses the inward disposition. Because here's the thing, kindness is genuine. But have you ever said, I genuinely feel no kindness toward that person? (laughs) Right? And so what am I supposed to do? Do I just like fake it? (sighs) Here's the thing, God has never called us to fake fruit. Fake fruit 
benefits no one. Fake fruit is what we produce when we're doing it ourselves. But good, true fruit only ever originates with God. It says in Romans 2, 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? God's kindness is intended to turn us from our sins to him. He patiently waits to be kind to us. None of us actually deserve God's kindness. None of us have earned his kindness. And so kindness has nothing to do with what anyone deserves. Kindness is an undeserved gift we receive from God, and then we get to give it to others. It says in Colossians 3, 12, and 13, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Kindness has nothing to do with what someone else deserves. Kindness has everything to do with what God has done for us. We get to experience his kindness. We abide in him and he causes it to grow so that we can choose to dress ourselves with kindness and give people what they don't deserve, to give them the kindness of God. All right, so the last fruit we're talking about here today is the fruit of goodness. Um, and what I find interesting in my, in my study of this specific fruit is that compared to the, nut, the eight other fruits, this one is, is, is more unique, right? So the nine fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But with each of those, specifically when you look at the Greek, but even in the English, by and large, there are words that we easily understand and we have some kind of concept of, right? So when we say love, you probably get an image of what love means inside of your head. Now, if you look at the Greek word for this agape, it's actually a specific type of love. So agape was a selfless, like committed, true love. But there's other loves, right? There's eros, which is a romantic love. There's phileo, which is a brotherly love, right? And that's where we get Philadelphia, phileo, phil. You see that right there in the beginning, that word. So the city of brotherly love, maybe you disagree with that, but that is, that is the original idea of what Philadelphia was supposed to be, right? So there's, there's specificity within that, within that word. And if you look at other words, you look at arene, which is the word for peace. It means tranquil, serene. You can kind of get an understanding of this. But when you get to the word goodness, the sixth fruit of the spirit here in the list, it feels generic, Now, I don't mean that there's not other definitions for it technically in the dictionary, but what I'm saying is in light compared to all the other fruits, almost every translator of every version of the Bible looks at this and say, yeah, this specifically means goodness. It could kind of mean uprightness or virtuous, but man, every time we see this, it means goodness, it means goodness, it means goodness. But the question I I, I have when I look at it then is why does Paul pick one of the fruits to feel kind of broad or kind of generic within the list of the other ones that are a lot more specific. Like, was it user error? Obviously, that wasn't the case. But goodness as a term means something that maybe we don't always think about in a modern-day context. So the, the definition of good 
Um, well, actually, let me, let me even tease it out this way a little bit. So uh, if you were to ask me how my day off was and like, be like, oh, Gilbert, tell me about your day off. I'd be like, hey, you know what? I slept in, right? I didn't cut the lawn because I just didn't want to do it, right? I went to Meadows, ate like a pint of Cookie Monster because that's the best flavor. And then I came back and played 10 hours of Zelda. I'd say it's a pretty good day off, right? It was great. It was fantastic. You ask my wife, hey, how was your day off? She'll say, well, Gilbert didn't do his chores. He went and got medals without me, and he ate way too much, and then he just played video games all day. It, was, it wasn't a good day off, right? Two people can look at something and say, hey, well, this is good, this isn't good. Does that mean good is just subjective? Was Paul saying, like, there's kind of the subjective element to what it means to be good? And, and I don't think that's actually the case. I think that's sometimes how our culture thinks about the term good, like what is good for you and good for me is different things. But Paul is stating this amongst a list of eight other objective fruits. I can't imagine it's the only subjective one that exists. So here's the definition I want to give us for goodness. It's this. Goodness is a measurement of what something is compared to what it should be. Goodness is a measurement of what something is in reality compared to what it should be. And the closer that is together, the more good something is. And the further away that is, the more bad something becomes. If you were to go to the store right now and you were to pick out a shirt off the rack and you were to look at it, what would make it a good shirt? Outside of just fashion, right? Gen Z compared to millennial, compared to Gen X and boomers, all different fashion styles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what makes it actually a good shirt. Is there an objective standard to it? Well, you'd look at it and be like, okay, the shirt is soft, right? Feels nice to the touch. Like the way it, it is cut is gonna hide the love handles I've gotten from eating too much Meadows, right? So it's, that's a good thing, right? Probably the stitching is high quality. It, it, it looks nice, right? Okay, so this is a good shirt because what it is in reality is as close as possible to what a shirt should be in theory, and that makes it a good shirt. And what makes it bad, right, is when you start to step away from that, the stitching gets, you know, kind of sloppy. You go to, you know, like a Gabriel Brothers or something, maybe the arm is like two inches wider than the other one. You're like, okay, well, that's not a good thing. Right? Maybe it's too tight, it's too loose. You look at it, okay, this isn't a good shirt. Goodness is not a measure of something subjective, it's a measure of something objective. And so what Paul is saying is, as we root ourselves in Christ specifically, one of the fruits that's gonna grow is goodness. And the measurement of that, right, the measurement of in theory of who we should be and who we strive to be is like Christ. So you become a good person when you grow closer to Christ, you grow more like Christ, it's not subjective. You don't get to decide what good is. I don't get to decide what good is. What good is, is it's directly related to Christ and Christ alone. And with that, I'm gonna hit the buzzer here real quick. I get to close out the message. So technically I'm at the end of my five minutes, but I get to talk a little bit more. And I kept making this joke, like I could just probably talk for 15 minutes on goodness if I wanted to, because who's gonna stop me, right? I just keep talking, but I won't do that. I won't do that. I'm not gonna bore you. But I am gonna try to, try to tie it together here. So when we look at these five fruits of the Holy Spirit, we talked about nine in total. I think what's easy to think about whenever we leave church is to think, oh, I need to go out and do something to be more joyful, right? I need to go out and I need to work out like the joy muscle in the gym so that I'm more joyful. And I have that as a part of my life right now. But what's, what's key to remember is Paul actually said, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens as a result of walking close to the Holy Spirit of walking close to Christ, right? Of studying to try to be more 
like who he is. This isn't actually something we go out and manifest. We just go like, you know, like, oh, this is now here and I make it exist, right? Like I'm starting to grow a garden this year. Some of you have gardened really well. I'm a terrible gardener. I've already killed my plants that I planted and I have to replant them. So don't take my gardening advice. But I do know this, you can't just go out to your plants and be like, grow, because it's not gonna happen, right? You can't just force it to grow, right? But because you, you give the proper elements to make that plant grow, it naturally grows and naturally produces fruit. And when you take yourself spiritually and you give yourself the proper nutrients to be able to grow spiritually, you're going to produce fruit. But here's the the tension point, right? Here's the tension point I think you and I sometimes can get caught in. It's easy to think of ourselves as as actually being rooted in Christ, but really we like to kind of travel around to some different soils to kind of plant ourselves in, right? If we're the little seed in this analogy, we're like, oh, I really on Sunday, like I'll plant myself in Christ. But you know what? On Monday... I really do like reading my horoscope. And I think there's some truth to this, right? And I've like studied this. And I've been following for a while. I think there's some truth to this. So I'm gonna root myself in what my horoscope has to say about me. But that's not what Christ says, right? Or like, hey, maybe I'm gonna root myself. I used to kind of believe in this other religion and I actually think maybe I can combine these two religions in one way. And what Christ is saying is saying, hey, when you root yourself, you gotta pick one soil, right? And people who are gardeners and farmers know this a little bit better than I do, but there's something I learned recently called root shock which is where if you're growing a plant and you take it out of a soil and put it into another one, right? Some plants are a little bit more durable than others, but a lot of plants are very delicate. So if you take them out of a soil when they're young and you put them in a new one and you take it out and put it in a new one, what's gonna happen is even though you're like, oh, I just, I just moved them, isn't that fine? Well, what happens is the roots get shocked and then the seed doesn't die or it doesn't develop properly, right? And so what happens is we, we sometimes think like, oh, I need to commit to Christ. But ah, you know what? I, I think the church sometimes doesn't know what's best for my life and I'm gonna pick what's best for my life and kind of go down that path. Well, what you're doing is you're taking yourself out of the soil of Christ and you're putting it in something else. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna get root shock and you're not gonna develop fruit. Now, the good thing is Christ works in us, right? That's not a permanent indictment on us. Like now you never produce fruit for the rest of your life. No, God is good. When you return to him, he grows that fruit in your life. But it's really easy. It's really easy to convince ourselves that what we're doing is actually planting ourselves in Christ. And my challenge to you today is this, is is if you actually want fruit in your life, and I'm talking about you really want joy, right? If you really want peace, if you look at your life and man, you're like, I just just have so much chaos going on around me. I don't know, I don't know how to make it all quiet and I don't know what to do. And you're like, man, I really want, I really want peace. I really want that in my life. And I want that not just for me personally, but I want that in my family. I want to be a, a tree that gives the fruit of peace to my family, right? The, 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 I want to give peace to my friends, to my coworkers. I want to produce this, not just so that I eat the fruit of the peace, but I want to bring peace with me wherever I go. And that everywhere I go, people look at me and say, wow, he's a peaceful man. Or wow, she's such a good woman. Or wow, there's so much joy in, in, in this, in their kids. Like, how does this happen? It happens when we root ourselves in the soil of Christ. And so here's, here's my question. And I'm going to have us do something here today. Maybe this is new for you, but I'm going to have you just close your eyes here for a moment. Um, and I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I, I just want to kind of create a sense of privacy between you, me, and God here for a moment. Because what's going to happen is this, is I believe that as I've been speaking, some of you have been wrestling with this exact concept, right? Some of you have actually been wrestling in this room saying, you know what, I, I sometimes come to church and pretend and just kind of play, or I'm like, oh, you know, this is okay for Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I do what I want, Sunday I come here. But what I'm saying to you today is, the only way you get the fruit of Christ in your life genuinely is when you root yourself in him and you say, Jesus, I am making you my Lord and savior. That's the only way we get to this product. 
And so what I'm gonna do in just a moment here is I'm gonna count to three and I believe for some of you, you're hearing from God and saying, you know what, I want that. I want what Christ has for my life. Not my own way, not my own thoughts, not my own theology about the world, but I want what Christ has for me. And so when I count to three, if that's you, I'm gonna have you raise your hand. But I wanna encourage you, don't let this moment pass by, right? I really do believe the Holy Spirit speaks. I believe that he convicts. I believe that he talks to us. So if that's you, I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Yeah. There's hands going up everywhere. Yeah, I see those. I see those. Great. Awesome. Yes, good, 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 good. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have us do something here. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer for you right now. But as I pray for you, I'm gonna want you to pray for yourself here, right? And here's all you have to do. There's no magic words. There's no magic sentences you need to say. But I just want you to pray the words, Jesus, I surrender my life to you, right? You don't you just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want what you have for me. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. That's all you have to pray here. There's no magic words. You can pray whatever you want, but praying that prayer of surrender and saying, God, I'm going to root myself in you is the way this, this process begins. So let me just pray for you right now. Jesus, right now we declare as a church that you are the one that you are the one we are going to follow. We're not going to follow our own thoughts on how we should live our lives. We're not going to follow our own opinions. We're not going to pursue our own path. But Jesus, we're going to choose right now as a group of believers to say, we prioritize and pursue you. So God, we just choose right now to surrender our plan for our life, to surrender our opinion for how things go. And we say, God, we surrender, be our Lord and Savior, guide us. And we trust that by doing so, you're going to grow these fruits in our life, God. In your name we pray, amen. Now here's, here's what I want to say next. For some of you that raised, or for all of you that raised your hand in this room, I, I, I want to give you just a resource here, right? Because I know what it's like to be in a service like this and kind of make that decision because that's actually how I came to Christ as well. Like the question in your mind then becomes, well, what next? Like, well, like, okay, I've, I've had this, I've made this prayer. What do I do now? We want to help resource you. We want to walk alongside of you. So when you're on your way out today, you're going to see a table in the lobby that's our next steps table. Please make sure that you stop by. We'd love to just chat with you, get to know you a little bit, hear your story, and then get you connected to some other resources, right? So we believe one of the big things about our walk with Christ is that we're not designed to do it alone. And the more you do it alone, the more in danger you are of of really struggling with a lot of things. We believe that God has given us a good Christian family for a reason. So we'd love to get you connected to a small group and, and love to help give you whatever resources you need to keep making that decision to follow for Christ. But here's what I want us to do now. I want to invite you to stand up with me. We're going to close with just one more worship song here. And as we are singing this, I just want you to reflect and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? What are you speaking to me on? Because I do believe this. I believe that we can actually hear the voice of God in our lives, right? I believe that he can prompt us. He can speak to our spirits and we can understand him. So I just want you to ask God as you're worshiping and singing this song, saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you want to develop in my life? What fruit do you want to develop in life that maybe even I'm blocking right now, right? What are you trying to grow in me that I'm getting in the way of? And will you speak to me on that? Can we do that today? Awesome. Let's worship. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.